is the Ozark edition. So uh, it's going to be a joint effort of two bros-in-laws, Vince Mercandetti and Jake Schwartz, attacking the Ozark journey from seasons one to three. A lot of shit has happened over the course of this show. And we're going to get into a little bit of... Uh, Man, it's freezing up over there, Jake. Nah, but before that, it's your initial thoughts on this bad boy. Hey, uh, yeah, I wanted to start off by saying we're not making any sort of political statement with our hair. It uh, just happens to work out that we both decided to just shave all of it rather than deal with uh, the many pains of the quarantine. So nothing to see here, but um, <laughs> I do like the solidarity between us. Um, yeah, Going so like uh, Jonah season two with the shaved head look, right? That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that, which is probably a good segue because I don't remember, like, going into this season of Ozark, I didn't remember 90% of the first two seasons. And I don't know if that's an indictment of me or the show, but this season may be a top five season of any show I've ever seen in my life. Like, I think that's, the, that's how drastically better this season was than the first two of Ozark. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so... Uh, this season three definitely is, is up there with any great season of all time. Um, and uh, just to catch you guys up, if you haven't been watching the show, the basic plot of the show is that Marty, um, who's the main character played by Jason Bateman, uh, is basically laundering money for the Mexican drug cartel out of Chicago, Illinois. And his partner, being the idiot that he is, decides to try and scheme the Mexican cartel by shaving some money off of the money that they're laundering and taking it for his, for his own, for his own uh, I think in addition with uh, some other folks too, there's like a dad and a kid. I can't remember that far back either, but it's, it's to the extent of like eight to $10 million. So it's a, a huge chunk of change. Yeah. So anyways, so uh, Marty, so they get caught um, in one of like the, one of the best first episodes of any series of all time. And the, uh, the connection, I guess the cartel from Chicago to Mexico, that guy is leading it up, brings them to like a warehouse to interrogate them, kills his partner's wife immediately by shooting through the bathroom door, then goes on to basically kill the others and makes a deal with Marty, who just found out his wife has been cheating on him for a very long time because he hired a private investigator to do so, um, makes a deal that basically Marty's going to go to this uh, far away forest slash um, rainy retreat in Missouri um, called the Ozarks and where they will actually continue to launder money through there for the Mexican drug cartel. And Marty takes his family there. They move in and pretty soon they all find out about what's going on, even the kids, and were taken into the madness of Marty and his family figuring out how to survive in the Ozarks with the Mexican drug cartel, and a whole ton of shit happens. And lost in that explanation was the most disgusting form of torture, which was ripping out Marty's toenails, which is still sitting with me. Oh. But there was one scene in this season that was even worse than maybe the worst thing I've ever seen on television. We'll get to that in a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, that's a good explanation that that pretty much brings us up to speed. But so this season is like the first one, I think, where they're really settled into the Ozarks. Yeah. Um, they've got their casino business now. It's an easy way for them to clean money. Um, they've got they've got all the kind of all the pawns in the right place, if you will. They've, they're in with the police a little bit. They're in with the local government a little bit. Um, and all of their enemies start the season at least pretty weak, like um Darlene, who was previously a huge pain in their ass, already killed her husband. She's got no real, like, beef, you know, going on, if you will. But you can tell throughout the season she's kind of playing the long game, um, <laughs> trying to rebuild so she can come after the birds because she hates them. And then, um, yeah, and then Charlotte and Jonah. This is maybe my favorite part of the show, and it's my favorite part of any kind of survival-esque show is the, like, teenage kids. <laughs> because they always react the same way. It's like on one hand, they grow up super quick. Like Jonah knows stuff about extorting 
things and money laundering like way more than any other kid should. Or he maybe... starts laundering in season two. Yeah, <laughs> like he's totally <laughs> into it. Charlotte's totally like jaded by it, but they uh, they grow up real quick. Like oh, yeah. from season one, if you look at them in the first couple of uh, couple of episodes to now, they grow up very quick and they also grow up very jaded, which always cracks me up. But what was great about Jonah this season is that the way his character's written is perfectly realistic because he, on one hand, like mature beyond what he should be, but he's also like, my dad used to refer to it when we were teenagers as we would form jerk dust, which was just that when you're a teenager, you kind of think that you know it all. Um, so he always referred to it as jerk dust. He's like, all right, around when you reach your late teenage years, you're at maximum jerk dust. You just think you know everything and you don't. And I was going to take that a different way. No. <laughs> Knowing what your evacuation is, that's like jerk dust. Yeah, we're not we're not like that. Uh and then and then it gradually goes away when you're in your twenties and you like live a little bit. So <laughs> that's what Jonah is in the stage of. He's like maximum jerk dust. Even though he's 14, he's acting like he's kind of like a normal 17 or 18 year old kid. Yeah. He just is totally naive on one hand, but on the other hand, he wants to like overcompensate almost. So that I just, uh, it appealed to me all season watching how that character was written. Wow, jerk dust. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's, it's, we were talking about this the other day too, like the, they perfectly represent the naivety and like, not just like the passion behind the kids to want to know everything, but also partake in things. But they have moments of being like children. Like when we find out eventually, obviously Wendy's, um, brother who's is the shining star of the season by the way Ben um, he's incredible that we'll talk about that actor a little bit later on but he dies and Jonah has a moment where he's in his bedroom he's pissed at his parents about it and his sister's comforting him and he just he's like voicing his distaste and, and upset and, 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 and aggression around the situation and it just kind of shows like he doesn't understand like they just can't like Oh, like he's like, can't we just go to the cops? And it's like, you know, like that's, yeah. that's not yeah. how it works. So they, they really do a good job of like on one end showing how kids are just brilliant nowadays with technology and they want to be involved and help out. And on the other hand, they're still kids, they're still young and they still have these vulnerable moments. Yeah, he's totally torn. Like one second he wants to go to cops like normal law enforcement. Another second he wants to take out everyone in, involved in the cartel. Like he thinks yeah. he killed them. Like he just, he doesn't get it in that regard but he's so like cunning and, and smart in other ways that it's really funny. Uh, it's just funny to watch because that's when you know you've got really great writing on a show is when you're like, that's exactly how that person would react because way too many times we watch television and it's just like, this is so stupid. Like that's not, that's not how it ever happens in real life. But I think that they really nailed the dynamic of each family member um, and introducing a new family member, Ben, who... Oh, just was pissing Emmys throughout this season as far as I'm concerned. Every scene he was in, just the next one became progressively better. And yeah, um, and, and and I think like these, you know, all these like drug cartel shows and, and, and you know, like Breaking Bad obviously is one of the most popular ever. The Wire, um, like they all have this, these characters that truly personify emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think Ben just captured that overall, but he also carried the like the crazy volatility and different types of emotions as a bipolar person. Um, and just it was it was wild to see him go from one end of the spectrum to the other. And you were just glued to your television and watching him act and perform, but you you suspended your disbelief completely because the character itself made such awful decisions but also made very humane decisions for like if someone was to find out their family is in you know intensely involved in this money laundering and drug cartel and killing people and all the great things that come along with a story like this his reactions are are pretty realistic but he just continues to drown himself and when he called you know showed up at the lawyer's house who's helen um for the the cartel and just calling her out in front of her daughter and exposing her to her daughter, you knew that that was his death sentence. My ass was clenched that in (laughs) 
watching it and I'm like, oh, this is so cringeworthy. Because you're right. Bet you you watch Ben and you love and hate him in every scene because you're just like what like what is going through your head and we literally don't know because we're not bipolar, um, but it's also like on on the other hand you're like God he's like such a great character like he's really good to Jonah he's exactly what that family needed was a little bit of like family and yeah. and shielding the kids to a degree and like having some reasoning like he had a little bit of reasoning outside of drug cartel world which i think they needed but on the other hand you're like can you just stay in the freaking car and stop yeah. <laughs> stop ruining everyone for once stop using your cell phone the jerk dust store has called and they're running out of you stop <laughs> doing all this please oh, um, he just kept man. that that was and you talk about like like cringing i mean the the show does such a good job of making you cringe with excitement. And like that, the whole drive with Wendy taking her brother to, and she doesn't know where she's taking him. She's just like, I need to take him away. And that that whole road trip is just so cringeworthy from when the cops pulled him over to when they went to the gas station, he gets a burner phone, starts making phone calls and apologizing. And like, he yeah. just, terrible decision after terrible decision after terrible decision. It's super interesting too, because like, he first shows up and you're like, this guy's awesome. Like he's the uncle that you want, right? Like the uncle, like you want to hang around like Jonah, you know, uh, he's, he's like, Oh my God, he's the coolest uncle in the world. And they just, just like his, his personality, they flip it on its ass. And he just goes from zero to 60 in the other direction. Yeah. It, it, this is what I'm wondering this whole time too. I'm always wondering stuff like this when I watch shows like this. Does this set the bipolar community back like 20 years or is it helpful to be like, wow, this is, can be a really serious thing if it's not treated because he's not, he's off his meds. So it's not like every bipolar person's going to act that way. And I'm sure even on their meds, they're not all going to act the same. Um, you can tell I have no one bipolar in my family, but on the other hand, it's like, part of you is like, God, this is so freaking annoying. So just like, he, he's so drastic. And it well, looks like a kid. Like she calls him, I think, like a toddler at one point or whatever. And you're just like, I'm wondering that from a bipolar community standpoint, did this do harm or was it good for that character? I, I, it's a great question. Um, I know a few people that that deal with um, this disorder, and like, I think overall, I, I can't think of really a role that is out there in, in pop culture world that has really taken the bipolar side of things and the struggle with taking your medication or not and, and shown it. And I think that did a really good job for the community to just bring awareness around it. But I do think there's like little things of, about it, like the kid aspect of it, of like kind of being talked down to like a child takes away from like how this person is dealing with this issue and kind of living with it and, and wants to be an adult. I think they, you know, they, they, that, aspect that community might not be too crazy about but overall I, I thought the awareness like knowing the the complete sides of the spectrum you could go to from from sadness to anger to to just stable stability um was very well done from what i've seen in in, in my life um but it's serious you gotta take your medication it's super serious yeah we're getting some love in the comment section for how the character was portrayed so it seems like it was pretty fair um which, speaking of how the character was portrayed, you can't mention Ben without mentioning Wendy and some of the decisions she made throughout the season. Wendy, to me, kind of went to another level this season. It was before she was, like, a little in the dark. She had to get involved. Very Breaking Bad-like when Skylar gets involved. Yeah. Um, but now here, she kind of wants... She almost, like, wants the power, kind of like Walter White. Like, eventually Walter White's like, I had to do this, and now I like doing it. And that's kind of where I think she reached by the end of that season. And it's a, it becomes a power struggle, and that's an overall theme throughout the season. Her and Marty aren't on the same page. Mm -hmm. um, they both have different ideas. One is not necessarily worse than the other or better. And their, their heads are budding, and that's causing now the entire family to be in danger, and it's making Helen angry. Which is which all boiled up to the end of the season. Yeah, and I mean this really started in season two um, when you had Ruth's dad getting involved in anything, everything. He's going around, he's killing the FBI agent, um, and then you know Wendy pays him off five hundred grand, and you think you know that's just paying him off to leave, but it's actually a decoy to go and have him killed. And so, and and at that time, 
Marty was planning on basically taking the funds they were making from the casino as a kind of a, a, a purse to go take his family and get out of it. He was ready to rock and roll. He had a plane booked. He's ready to leave. And then they're at the casino. They find out about Cade, who's, who's Ruth's dad. And he just, you, you can see in his face, Jason Bateman did a great job in just his, his realization that his wife now is not only in the thick of it, but as to your point, she wants to go all the way and she will do everything she can. There's two themes in the show that if you take the drugs, you take the, um, the mafia, you take all that stuff out of it. There's two very um, impactful themes throughout all three seasons. One is the struggle of marriage. And two, are parents doing anything for their children, right? And so like those two themes um, are, are throughout the show. And I, and I fully believe that Wendy is, is now blurring that line where Walter White was at, was like, how much of this is for the good of your family now? Because you're in the shitter. You're already in. You have the mafia tied in. So how much of what you're doing is doing to protect your children, your family? And how much of it is really touching your ego? Because, because Wendy says it point blank when she's talking to Ben in a sit-down moment when they were drinking wine. She's like, you could tell the switch was flipped that she no longer is the stay-at-home mom that's taking care of her children. She is now in charge of something and she doesn't answer to Marty. That was made very clear. And you could tell that Marty being the one that actually has a ton of experience, very different than Walter White. He has a ton of experience here. He knew what they should and should not be doing. Um, And so he could see kind of the mistakes unravel and that caused strain in their marriage too, going back to that other theme. Uh, But she, but it was, it was a turning point. You're right. I think, and you saw by the end of season three, she started to become more realistic again and just break down and crying after, after Ben died, just saying, I can't do this, Marty. I, I, I don't know what we're doing. I, I, I can't do it. She's struggling. Um, and then we know how the, you know, the, the end of the season went. But I, my, yeah, I think going back to, to Wendy, my money was on that she was going to be the one killed at the end of the season. I was convinced that she was going to be killed when they got to the house, not the lawyer. And I was stunned that the way they killed the lawyer. Um, yeah so that scene it was so sudden it almost like it couldn't be that intense because you just like you're you're like okay where's this going like they're gonna probably go to the baptist and then it's like bam helen's dead and um my one question about that scene from a technical standpoint is so she gets killed with a shot or no melanie my wife pointed out it was a handgun not a shotgun that shot uh helen that bullet, I mean, it's close range. So, like, my first question, just from a logistics standpoint, is how does that bullet not go through his head and hit Wendy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't – I mean, I, I'm not really good with this stuff. Like, maybe, you know, the brain is just – the skull plus the brain. Yeah, like, maybe like it's, it's stuck in there. I don't, I don't know. Um, because the angle of which she was shot was directly next to Wendy as well. Oh, all three could have been taken out if it was a very powerful weapon, right? Like it could have been three birds with one stone for sure. Um, but that yeah, scene, you mentioned um, Jason Bateman's facial acting earlier. That scene, if you still shot that when it happens, is maybe the most amazing two seconds of facial acting I've ever seen in my life from both characters. When, from Wendy and Marty, their facial reactions said a thousand different emotions at once. Oh yeah! Um, while there was blood like splattered on the side of their faces and whatnot, it was incredible. Just well, it's, it. it's it's a truly underrated like ability. I mean, you, you think about actors like Tom Hardy, how he played Bane, and you know you're not you're not seeing anything from here down. So every, all the intensity is in his eyes and the way he's moving his eyes. And Christopher Nolan speaks about that. Um, and so like. Jason Bateman and also uh, what's her name? Laura Linney. Is that who it is that plays Wendy? Yeah. Um, they just like when that bullet, I mean, even if it's a, you know, take the realism out of it, they're shooting a scene pop. They react exactly how someone who's just like, so stunned in the moment. It was doesn't know like what they didn't to tell do. them that was going to happen. Yeah. They, it was they, that they just, no. And, and, and then Omar goes and hugs both of them and is like, you know, welcome to partnership. Basically you're locked in with me forever now. Um, and there, and you still see them with blood all over them. And he, and that, and that also too, great writing on the show again, because it, it shows how Omar is just completely desensitized 
Mm-hmm. Even when his family is is killed in the um, in the christening, yeah, he just you kept know, on trucking. Yeah, just kept on trucking, and he all he cares about is his kids, and and even so, like he threw a tantrum, and that was it. He moves on. He's already smiling and like welcome to the partnership. I mean, he he is a great representation for um, a Mexican drug lord uh, from the cartel, and like I'm I'm just like. I'm super pumped. I think this next season opens up a lot of storylines, uh, some of which we should probably do a little bit more talking about. Mm-hmm. But like you have now the Mexican drug cartel, this other um, drug cartel that was at war with them, which was a theme throughout the show. They're they're either silenced or, or whatever the case is. Maybe they're they're overtaken now. Um, but you still have the Kansas City mob uh, yeah. with uh, Frank, and you have Darnell and and her you know, opiate fields that she's starting again with Ruth and, and Wyatt. And, Wyatt. Um, and so you have all these, these like civil wars that could potentially be happening. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you write the season because there's just, there's so much stuff you could do now with, with all the different angles. Yeah, there's a lot of parties involved. Like you said, you got Frank and his dickless son, which that was another question. Robert brings up in the comment section that uh, some definitely rounds, got his jerk dusted off. <laughs> some yeah, some rounds are are um, not designed for exit wounds. They kind of bounce around, which is very helpful because uh, I did not know that. I don't know much about guns, so that's helpful. To yeah. Know. But my other question about guns in this one was that that time they did use a shotgun or a rifle, whatever you want to call it, to shoot his dick off. How do you not die from that? Is like just the shock of that is what I want to know. I have no idea. I mean, he's definitely not dead because I think his dad wouldn't not have, yeah. yeah, wouldn't have reacted that way with um with Darnell when she showed or Darlene when she showed up. Yeah, uh, no, he's definitely not dead. And in the scene when it happens, like you see, his head kind of hangs. So you're not really sure. Um, obviously, yeah. I'm sure he like passed out from shock, but just I'm thinking of it logically. He gets his dick blown off there's got to be a massive blood loss he passes out in his car someone had to take the time to find him which i'm sure didn't take long because you hear the the gunshot and there's obviously men all around and then like what happens after that <laughs> you bring him to a hospital and he get like how do you i just i don't know how to survive how you survive that it was i, I don't think that i i think that's like impossible to survive i think yeah, this is probably I'm convinced if my dick was blown off i would not be living that cl- close range with a shotgun yeah holy shit no way yeah i mean like one thing to get castrated you know from whatever means necessary and i think every other time you see something like this in television there's a little bit more of a believable way but that's a close range shotgun i i don't believe it I just, no, I don't, yeah it's a good call i was i was wondering the same thing i was like all right i guess he's dead from the yeah from and then she shows up at uh, the Kansas City mobs like warehouse facility place, and the dad is just like, I think I think he's kind of done with his son anyways because all the trouble he's caused him. Yeah, he saw a money opportunity. She presented him a really good deal, and I yeah. think when you're when you're the head of a, a mob family like that, that's kind of where your head's at. You're not worried about your son's penis as much as making millions of dollars. So. So, so speaking of not dead, I know we're probably giving Ben a lot of a lot of room here on the cast, but I think he deserves it. I don't believe he's dead. You had this theory, that's right. Yeah, I, I have this theory that they so there's 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 one little problem with my theory, and that's the because the character was so emotionally attached to the audience from the audience, they didn't want to show him die, but it's weird that they, they, Nelson is Nelson, right? Nelson goes to, to kill him. They're at, they're out in public. And so he sees Ben, obviously there'd have to be some sort of struggle to get him in the, in the car. Um, but they don't show him, kill him. And they, and, and they've showed Nelson and Omar and anyone else, Jacob, uh, kill everyone, everyone that's died they've showed on the show they've shown it no matter how graphic and awful when ruth uh electrocuted russ who was her uncle who was an informant to the fbi is also sleeping with the fbi's whole gay love triangle between the fbi oh, yeah, I, forgot, and I, next. I forgot that entire yeah. storyline yeah yeah um and so you know I, like between that they don't show his body after he's dead they just show the wrapping of it they they quickly bring him to the furnace i actually believe 
that it's very much possible that he's actually chilling in Omar's dungeon right now. And, and they're going, and um, uh, Marty and Wendy are going to see him soon in the next season. Uh, and I don't think he's dead. I think he's a liability, but I don't, I don't think he's dead because they didn't show it. You got John Gray agreeing with you uh, in the comment section. So when you first texted this theory to me, and this was five minutes after I finished watching the last episode, I was like, no, there's no way. Like, Walking Dead ruined that forever for any show for the rest of time with Glenn. Um, <laughs> and they, they just totally butchered it. But the more I think about it, it's actually yeah, it's plausible to this storyline. Because for the reasons you listed, that's why he might not be dead. But even to the storyline, if you're Navarro, the very act of Wendy selling out her own brother, basically, like that is the ultimate form of loyalty, is she realizes how much of a liability her brother is. She, because you remember, they're in a pissing, she's in a pissing contest with Helen to prove loyalty, basically. That very act would have been enough if I'm Navarro to be like, okay, she's in my pocket. Like she's not going anywhere. She's going to have her own son, her own brother killed um, because she gets it. And so for me, the motive to kill him, though it would be plausible if he did, isn't necessarily mandatory. And your point, they very easily could have filmed it super differently. Mm -hmm. He's in, he's outside of a restaurant, which had people in it. It's not like it was completely empty. So even if you have a silencer type gun, like dragging a grown man, and Ben's not a small guy, dragging a grown man across the parking lot's not going to work, but I think they said that he was actually in, he took him into the car. Now, if you're Ben off your meds, we've seen how crazy he was acting. I just can't believe that you can silence someone enough to get them into your car, drive away, have him not like get you in a car crash or something and then kill him there. So in either scenario, it doesn't make sense to me. He's also no slouch. I mean, they, they, they made it evident in the, the show. People all season. He could fight. He could yeah. fight and hold his own. And, and not to say that, you know, Nelson's obviously this like hitman silent killer that just can't be stopped. But like, it just, they, the, when, when you produce a show, you're very particular about showing certain angles and showing something as far as foreshadowing goes. And they made a decision to consciously show Nelson get out of the car, stare over at Ben. They, they have the camera on him for a while, flip the camera over to Ben and have his reaction to Nelson and end there. Yeah. And that to me is on purpose. And I don't think it's on purpose to, to get across the message of you're dead now. We already knew that. We already knew that was happening. So you didn't need to get that message across. Right. I think the message that we're trying to get across is leaving it open for interpretation or to bring Ben back to, to, to reshoot that scene and bring Ben back, um, which, which would be awesome. Cause he's, I don't want him to go. I love his character so much. I want more of him. So I, I yeah. hope he's still. Melanie brings up the point. They didn't show Sue dying either. Um, they did show her. Oh. But so, but again, it, it's not just okay. how it played out. It's, he doesn't need to die to advance that storyline. Like just the thought of him being dead and knowing what Wendy did, that was enough for Navarro. And this is a good opportunity for Navarro to go back to the birds and be like, there's some common ground here. Like, I didn't kill your brother. I just made him go away. So, you know, it's almost like a trust and trust, and he doesn't need to do that. But if you're into new beginnings, which was the specific phrase at the end of the season, that's a really great peace treaty in my mind. Oh, yeah. It, that's Pulled a- out your brother. I didn't kill him. And he's not a problem anymore because he's been taken care of, whether he's in a dungeon or whether he got exiled somewhere or whatever the case. Helen's dead, so there's no one threatening. Now we got to deal with Darlene and her. Basically, she's taken over the Kansas City mob now. Um, she's got them in her pocket, and that's what I see coming to a head probably either in the next season or the season after. Yeah, and, and Robert Michael said uh, he could have maybe disappeared via the way Marty lined up at the end of season two, which is not a bad thought. He had the plane uh, to take them away from, from, from there and kind of get new IDs, new personality, or new names and stuff like that. Um, I, I do think it's very interesting. Omar Navarro, like I'm still, I, I still don't have him pegged. So I, 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 like, I'm still learning about him and, and, you know, I was going to ask you earlier, like, 
you know, do at what point do you believe Omar made the decision to off Helen? And do you think that the casino licensing title, all that crap with the, the birds that she was saying she wasn't going to do that she wanted up doing, um, do you think that was a catalyst because it you know, it, it was kind of going around what he had agreed to do? I thought, and this was something I thought, and I could be way off on this. I don't know if you can necessarily prove it one way or another. I thought when she tried to set up the FBI deal for Marty with the FBI mm -hmm. agent, because remember, Marty was blindsided by that. Um, he didn't know that that deal existed for him to be exiled. And I, that might have been Helen's way of, of getting rid of the birds, getting what she wants. She takes over the casino. She gets all the operations, whatever. I don't think Navarro knew about that deal and somehow he must have found out. And I think the moment that that happened, he found out she tried to cut a deal for one of his major assets behind his back. I think that is what made him decide, okay, on one hand, I've got the birds selling me their own brother <laughs> to have killed. And on the other hand, I've got Helen making deals behind my back. It's a pretty obvious choice. Um, I don't know if there's a flaw. If you're in the comment section, definitely feel free it seems like it seems like John is in agreement with us um, that Helen was cutting Helen was doing things unauthorized towards the end. Uh, I think out of her own paranoia, you know it finally hit her family. It finally hit her personally this season she uh, she's got some skin in the game, and I don't think she handled it the best way she could, and that ultimately led to her downfall. You ready for this theory? Thanks to John. John, who's saying he definitely has a source inside the feds. I just, this new theory popped in my head. What if the pregnant FBI agent is actually working for the cartel? Maya I Miller? I don't, I just don't. That to me is a little too bait and switchy mm. because she's been propped up, even in her history, she's been propped up as this, you know what she reminds me of? Commission, um, not Aaron Eckhart in, in The Dark Knight. Harvey Dent? Yes. Yes. Thank you. She reminds me of, um, she reminds me of Harvey Dent. She's like that white knight in a world of corruption meant ah. to kind of bring everything how it should. So I don't think it's her, but to your point and to John's point, it could be someone we've already seen before. Yeah. It could be her boss, for example, who was introduced. Mm. That uh, could be, that's a good point. So it, I think the theory is sound. I just don't think it's her. I don't, I, that would be a little deceptive to me. Um, to write that in. That's fair. Can we talk, can we switch topics for a second and talk about the, I want to talk about the trio of women here and, and kind of their um, display and battle over power between um, Helen, the lawyer, Wendy Bird, and also Darlene Snell. So I, I look at uh, Helen, what's that? I'm going to throw Ruth in there too. Yeah, let's throw Ruth in yeah. there too. Yeah, Ruth, holy crap. On the show, by the way. Yeah, so so Ruth is definitely the Jesse Pinkman um, of Ozark from Breaking Bad, absolutely. But I, I think the 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 conflict between Wendy and Helen reminds me of like when you're at work and you hate someone, but you're politically being nice to them when you talk to them about something, and then you go and trash them like behind closed doors. That's how I kind of view that partnership between Helen and Wendy very similarly, but. You have this this other theme of, of all these women kind of fighting for power, and the way the way Ruth talks to everyone is just it's absolutely wild. First of all, but she, um, but Darlene, I mean Jacob Snell, who she killed as her husband in the in the second season. I thought he was like the granddaddy of it all, but she, it winds up being no. His wife yeah. kills him first, and she's now playing this like taboo K Parker role with Wyatt, um, and just you know, <laughs> that whole weird storyline. And, but yeah, what do you think of the, the different women and, and the struggle for power here? Because I think at some point it's going to come to a head and, and maybe Wendy's daughter, Charlotte's going to kill Darlene or something's crazy is going to happen. It's cool because unlike a lot of other television, every woman on this show is kind of their own character and they also are very different from each other. Yeah. So it is cool to see this arms race. You've got, on one hand, you've got Charlotte, lesser character. You know, she's, she's growing up though you can see she kind of takes a little ownership over jonah she knows right the right thing to do around aaron the wrong thing to do around aaron like she's got that part mastered um she's kind of over the whole like teenage guy having sex thing 
yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas Aaron was still very much like that was her world. She had to lose her virginity, which we'll get to that storyline later. Made no sense. Um, <laughs> and then you've got Ruth, who is like the pit bull, right? Like, you know, yeah. you can let her off the leash and she'll do your bidding, but you can't always control her emotions. Um, and, and I think people prey upon that at times. And they also are a little, you know, you can only give her so much trust. And then you've got um, the big three. You've got the FBI agent who, again, she's beacon of, of truth. She, you know, you can't, she's totally clean. She really just wants to do the right thing. But the lines start getting blurred around her. And it's interesting to see how that develops. And then you've got the big two, which is Helen and Wendy, who I really thought for a second there, they were actually becoming friends. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I think that was legitimate and genuine. I don't think either one was trying to play each other, which is a rarity for them because <laughs> they've manipulated so many different things that you don't know, like, any emotion until you see Wendy break down over Ben that's mm -hmm. legitimate anymore. But I thought that they were getting close to friendship and then the kids kind of muddied the waters and whatnot. Um, Helen is the classic case of totally in denial that her kid could do any wrong. I thought they, they nailed that part of her personality great. Um, she's she, like an evil Jane Lynch from 40-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she's got quarantine hair with Navarro. That was a big observation I made, too. Uh, you know, they fit right in for just total, like, they don't give a shit about their hair at all. Um, yeah. Helen, um, yeah, Helen and Wendy were a great dynamic for a while. They were getting shit done together, and then, like, almost their egos got in the way of each other. And, uh, and then they decided they couldn't coexist. And Helen, like the second anything gets too close to jeopardizing anything that she's got going on, whether it's her ex-husband, whether it's her daughter, whether it's whoever, she cuts it out. Like that's her solution. Um, Wendy plays kind of a little bit more of a long con with everything and you know, it's a slow burn with her. But uh, that was a great dynamic. And I thought it all played out again, how it was supposed to, which is why I think it was such a great season everyone kind of fell into the place that I felt they were going to be, you know, based on how, how the plot developed. Uh, oh, and Darlene, I, I left out. She obviously is some sort of mentally ill. I don't, I'm not going to diagnose her. Uh, she's got something <laughs> way off about her, but she is so much smarter than I thought she was. Oh yeah. Last season in season two, I was like, all right, she's like crazy. Um, she just is so impulsive. She, she's going to torpedo everything. And this season you can tell those wheels are turning. Oh, yeah. You know, she's, she's playing a little bit more chess than checkers. And it's interesting to see where that line is in her intelligence. And she's got that big-ass southern chip on her shoulder. She does not like the birds because they're from the north and not from the local area. And I love that plot line. Because, again, that's exactly what I would imagine you'd run into in that sort of situation. Well, and that was, like, the, the big theme of the first, like, four-ish episodes maybe even the whole season one of, of the birds encountering the snells um and then ruth's family um you know just dealing with all of that and and kind of up you know this middle to upper class rich family versus the you know the kind of i made it on my own i mean that's darlene's big mantra in this season three is you know i am ozark made like i i got to where i am in ozark not somewhere else and we have these people and she she blames the birds for her husband's death, even though Jacob was plotting to kill her and then she just got to him first. Um, but she blamed, a lot of them blame the birds. Wyatt blames the birds. She blames the birds. Um, Ruth, which I thought was, so Ruth has played this very tough exterior, which is, which is a little bit different than Jesse Pinkman because Jesse got involved with like the, the mob and stuff for a while, for at least like the first four seasons, he was very timid and scared. Like with Tuco and all that, he was like freaking out. Ruth is like, she doesn't care. She's running her Susie from Curb Your Enthusiasm mouth at anyone who is willing to listen. Yeah. And then when Marty gets kidnapped and he comes back, she runs to him like a little kid and hugs him and is like, oh my God, I hope you're okay. Like, and that to me, I was like, what the hell? Because that was like so unorthodox for Ruth. So she has this like this like sentimental side of her, even with her brothers too. Like she went to like Wyatt's rescue. There's the other brother. I think his name is Three. I don't even know why he's in the show. He doesn't do anything. Uh, yeah, he's and ginger he's a ginger redheaded yeah. male, and that's my least favorite. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be happy with that. But uh, 
But yeah, so, so, you know, you have that weird element too of Ruth. And so I just love how, like, even if the characters are these wild characters that you would never expect to see in real life, there's some human element, realistic side of them that we got to see in season three come through very much so. Um, but it's just, it's just wild. I have a weird observation, speaking of the, the women of the show. So Maya Miller was the FBI agent. She was like literally like a month away from giving birth. Is, does that happen in the real, like when they put someone like that in danger in a situation like that, that is that pregnant? I thought that was really bizarre. Probably. I mean, I don't know the FBI protocol, but I do know to a degree law enforcement in general. And I'm not talking like cops. I'm talking like, you know, FBI, DA's office, stuff like that. They don't give a shit. Um, yeah. when my, when my sister worked as an ADA in the Brooklyn DA's office, like they don't, they do not give a shit about your personal life at mm. all. Uh, whether you have a newborn, whether, you know, whatever the case is. So it wouldn't shock me. Um, I think as long as her pregnancy doesn't interfere with how she can do the job, which in this case it shouldn't because it's not a terribly rigorous job. You know, she basically yep. stands at the casino all day. It'd probably be okay. And I'm sure she also insisted on it because, they had that little scene where she was like, she'd been fighting for field work like her entire career. So she wasn't, I don't think she was about to be like, hey, I'm too pregnant to do this. So I, I thought that was believable, made sense. Um, the so we have some comments here on the on the group. Henry and John are, are talking about- uh, I think it's time we discuss the sex scene. The sex scene, yeah. So I alluded to Kay Parker from Tab. <laughs> If you guys know who that is, I'm not going to say who that is, but you can do your research. Um, her and Wyatt have one of the most uncomfortable sex scenes in the history of cinematic. That uh, was really bad. Yeah, it was just, it, was, it wasn't good. You have like Wyatt, who's like this, it's like, like if Daryl from Walking Dead was like 17 years old, it'd be Wyatt. Yeah. And then you have like uh, Darlene, who's just every character from Walking Dead. Um, but it's it was just so awkward but that being said i loved your what you were telling me uh via text message you thought that that was on purpose you don't think she's actually like catching feelings or wants to be with white that she's doing that to to take in roots so i'd love to hear you talk about that more as i thought that was such an interesting theory yeah so yeah i'm super woke now on darlene and her her mindset um yeah so she's She's having sex with it. So Wyatt, again, let's put him into context. He's still a teenager. Um, he's as, he's as well-read as it probably gets in the Ozarks. You know, he's, he's not your typical grown-up farm country boy. I think he would go to college and stuff like that if, if he had the means to. Um, but it, so he got into the zoo. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a smart kid, um, but he is a teenager. And I think Darlene saw an opportunity where she knows Ruth at this point is Marty's Marty and Wendy's right hand woman. And she also knows from knowing that family that she's a loose cannon and can be easily manipulated. That's what I talked about. Ruth is a giveth and taketh away personality. Yeah. Great on one hand, but also susceptible on another. Um, so she gets to Wyatt and she has sex with him, gives him something every teenage boy wants, which is sex, because he's probably a virgin at that point, I would guess. Can't imagine any woman coming to his trailer park with living with Ruth and like 19 other people. So, you know, she puts him in her pocket with her Kmart bra. That, that maybe grossed me out as much as her being old is that her like undergarments matched her being oldness. And then, like, I'm watching that, I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I thought her bra would look like. It's disgusting. So, uh, so she put Dwight in her pocket by having a sexual relation with him. And, you know, from her standpoint, like, who cares? She, I'm sure that's the best sex she's had in a while, um, considering her husband's dead. And then on the other uh, hand... Definitely, like, uh, looking like, uh, the, the, like a classic cartoon grandmother with those... those <laughs> yeah, I was, my ass was clenched for that scene for a totally different reason. But, um, <laughs> so then, uh, and then the, on the other part, she's now, she's got Wyatt's trust and with Wyatt's trust comes Ruth. Cause that's like the only person Ruth trusts. So now she has, again, think of it like a risk board, right? She's got all of these different continents now with these soldiers. She's got the, the Kansas city mob. She's now got Ruth 
which that plan worked once, you know, once Ben died, Ruth lost trust in the birds and they kind of manipulated that situation. She's got Wyatt as protection to Ruth. Um, if Ben came back, I'm sure she would have Ben. And she also has uh, every, uh, the local police and things like that. And the FBI is not on her tail. So she has everything locally working for her. The birds have the cartel. So, I, I mean, I think that's a, a dynamic you've got. But, yeah, I didn't think that that was a totally genuine. Because, again, she's a little crazy. I don't think she's in love with Wyatt. And I think he's just teenage boy enough where he got some sex and he's going to be in love with her. And that's exactly how she wants it. Yeah, I, 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 it's really interesting. And I, I think that that theory, when I first heard I was like, ah, I think she just was like Jones in and it happened. She's lonely. But then as as you talked about, I started to like, think back to when she was tell, admitting to Wyatt what she did to Jacob and that like you could tell it kind of freaked him out in the moment but he was at that point he was so manipulated that he wasn't going anywhere and so she the the shotgun to the dick for Frank Kozov Jr. that was absolutely to get Ruth and so I, I do agree I think Ruth is an interesting key to the puzzle they made that very obvious since season one that she is the key to everything I mean you were you had Helen probably behind Navarro's back going to Ruth and saying, "Hey, if Marty is no longer if the birds are no longer a factor, could you run the casino on your like you know that's that's kind of like the the Jesse versus Walter White for Gus Fring in motion, yeah, exactly, kind of like seeing what they could do as as backup plans. Uh, oh my gosh, I just read I just read Robert Michael's comment. Uh, he was responding <laughs> to our talk about the sex. And he said. They had the same body and hair. I couldn't tell who was who. <laughs> yeah, look, I went to four years of college. I've seen a lot of screwed up shit from videos sent to me, shock value, dares, challenges, shit like that. In fact, Steve Barreto was my roommate in college. He's in the comment section right now. I have not seen anything except maybe like the two girl, one finger, one melon type stuff that was as disgusting as watching that sex scene. And there wasn't even genitals shown. That's how repulsive it was. Just Darlene, like she's just one of those people you feel like if you like touch her, she's just, I, I pictured a cold, like everything was cold and yeah. fragile and <laughs> smelled weird. Like just, oh, yeah. Oh my God, it was repulsive. Wow. That, yeah, that classic like uh, rose rose slash musty like grandma smell. Yeah, like I bet that bedroom house. smells like antiques. Like if you go into an antique. Oh yeah. Yeah, she's probably got like antiques and potpourri. <laughs> yeah, she's got like super expensive <laughs> furniture that's like a hundred years old that smells bad. Uh, oh man, everything, everything about that was disgusting. Why it's kind of like a meth Steve from Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. So he also has quarantine here. They did a great job fitting everything like into quarantine, even though it was filmed way <laughs> before. I'm sure any of it happened, but yeah. So it's here's the other plot line. Everyone who knows me is going to love this part. How much did penis play a role in this season? You think about <laughs> as far as like why it plays a role. You got Frank Jr. having his blown off. That plays yep. a role. And then you also have the whole Aaron virginity plotline. She's like just salivating for it. And that plays a major role. Well, there's number four. There's there's Ben struggling to get it up with Ruth when they yeah, finally yeah. have sex. His erectile issues as a result of the medication, that causes him to go off the meds, which causes him to be a liability. Oh, yeah. This entire season, though the women in my mind were the MVP, the women in Ben, uh, it was Dick was was the main main catalyst for this entire season, and the, the Aaron Virginia plotline. Now is the time to address it. I don't. Oh boy. I don't get it. <laughs> like it didn't do anything for the actual season except put her in the line of of danger. But that guy ends up dying anyway. There was there was zero need for it. There literally was like I cannot. I was when you texted me that I was like trying to figure out why that was a relevant connection. Like, well, it lures in the guy that tries to shoot um, Jonah, so that shows Jonah be strong, and it maybe makes her vulnerable to kiss Jonah. But she could have done all that regardless if she was a virgin. Yeah, there was no reason for that. The only thing I can imagine is they really wanted to illustrate like 
<laughs> not how bad of a mother Helen was, but how much she didn't know about her own daughter. Um, okay. And it, but, right. I don't, but even that, like, it was just, I don't know. It seemed like such an over-the-top, like, Charlotte losing her virginity in season, what was that, two? Mm-hmm. Um, when she has sex with that dude on the boat, which, again, was so random because we never see that guy again. Um, that I can under, that, that to me was like her losing her innocence, right? As her yeah. entire family starts to, to fall into whatever it is. But Aaron, like, just craving losing her virginity to the point where she told her mom, like, the reason she was seeing him was he had a big dick. Like, that was just, that was such a weird, weird part. Oh, I always don't get that. The whole virgin, it goes from virgin to slut overnight. Like, she just, like, she's like, oh, I'm this virgin. And then she's, like, disobeying Charlotte, like, drinking beer and wanting to have sex with this guy that she's met. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, she was acting out. I think I thought maybe they had mentioned she goes to an all-girls school in, in Chicago. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it could Or be. Catholic school yeah. at the very least. So I think that was just her uh, kind of lashing out against all these rules her mom probably has on her. John brings up that... um it was used to build up Jonah's character more. So I thought, John, to your point, I thought Jonah was going to have sex with her. And it was going to be like, both yeah. of them shit. And then I well, thought that, I thought that was going to cause problems with Helen and Wendy. But instead, it's just yeah. a random kiss. Yeah, I, I, that's a good call. And, I, and I, what I wanted to get to um, was kind of Jonah's character development here. Because they're like he so he's obviously become they're trying to make him this like coral from walking dead there's a lot of like amc tying into this show i think jason bateman's like so jason bateman uh writes and directs the show i think he's a huge fan of of like amc for some reason but um (laughs) but but jonah we we talked a little bit earlier where he goes from like the sweet kid to like now doing some money laundering this season he's like He's doing cryptocurrency trades. He's got money stashed <laughs> yeah. in that. He's got a drone spying on people. He's getting super. He's got this. They keep showing him with a gun. Every season, he's doing something with a gun. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll Buddy, who we didn't even talk about, Buddy, who is the old guy that came with the house. Um, he taught him how to shoot. You know, he, he, he saves the family in season one by killing one of the uh, cartel guys. Then he hunts. And then this season, at the end, and I love. I want to talk about this too. Like they, sh- he goes in the house and he shoots the glass. Yeah. To the house. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, like, is he about to go rogue on his family and join Ruth and and Darlene? Like, what's what are they trying to foreshadow here with Jonah? He's got a lot of pent up anger, um, and I think yeah. it's getting to the point where he can't, in his little 14 year old brain, control it anymore. Which is totally. I mean, you look at the stress every single one of those family members is under. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it, any mental breakdown or anything like is totally believable to me at this point. But I think, yeah, something every season, it feels like you're about to be like, Jonah's going to do something so stupid. It's irreversible. And this season I thought it was going to be when he threatened Helen, but then she's dead. Yeah. So that doesn't matter anymore. Um, but then he goes and he shoots the, shoots the window or the door or whatever it was. Um, and yeah, you're just wondering what's going to happen next season. Like, is he going to become more violent? Is he going to, like, take someone out? Is he is he training to be muscle for the birds? Because this has always bewildered me throughout this entire show. They don't really have, like, muscle. <laughs> They've got, like, the cartel, but they're so far away. There's no one, like, local who's kind of on their side. I just feel like they're so vulnerable. So maybe Jonah's going to play more of a watchdog role, like I thought Ben might have. But I don't know. I don't really know what to expect from him. I wonder if, like... You know, we keep going back to Breaking Bad, but like Breaking Bad, with the exception of Walter White, the family got away. I, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that one of the birds besides Marty is is going to die or, or do something to go against the family. They'll play that whole like turn heel angle or something because Charlotte, Charlotte hinted at it. I think it was, it was season two where she was talking about being emancipated. Yeah, she tried um, to yep. Yeah. So I think something something's going to happen. There's no way this family just gets off scot free and rises into the sunset. Like I think Marty's going to wind up in prison. He's going to either take a deal to save everyone and go to prison, or he'll die, or one of the kids will die, or the wife will. Die. I thought the like I said, I thought the wife was going to die for sure, and it wasn't going to be Helen at the end of the season. But I think a few um, of us, and she may still it um. 
you know, I think about the long, the long game here. What, what is the point of this show at the end? Right. Mm. And I would imagine, I think we talked about this. It's probably going to be about five seasons just based on how the story progresses and the pacing and whatnot. I, I could see another two seasons. They say the ideal show is six seasons, so maybe they stretch it out and have one crappy season. I don't know. But anyway, you got two, maybe three more seasons left, I'm sure. How is this story going to end and what lesson is it going to teach? And in my mind, the very premise of a family who falls this far down the rabbit hole into cartel business, it can't end happily. Like, they're not all just going to ride off into the sunset. The cartels are going to be dead and they're just going to be off the hook. I don't see it happening that way. It almost never does. Something is going to have to get sacrificed irreversibly so. Yeah. And Ben is not a big enough collateral for that. And it's too early in the story. So I totally agree with you. Someone in that family either has to die or go away. And there has to be real pain to teach the lesson that this is not the path you want to go. Um, you can survive maybe and, and have a lot of, you know, good times, so to speak, but there has to be some sort of meaning at the end. There, there's no, there's no way it's a happy ending. I, I'd be shocked given the way that this show has, has gone so far given you see in season one, the very first episode when they're driving to the Ozarks and, and Marty pulls over to go take a piss in the woods, he collapses in front of the tree. And he's just like, he's apologizing to his family, but to himself. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like the foreshadowing of like, you take any great first episode of any show, you can tell a lot from that first episode to how the actual show ends. And I think it just, it's just telling us that this is going to go down a path where the, the family that is supposed to live on will live on. Like they'll either get new names, they'll go live somewhere else. And, and it'll be maybe the, you know, um, the mother and Jonah or the mother and Charlotte or something like that. Maybe it'll just be Charlotte. Like there's, there's things like where she's kept out now or she might just be like the one survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't see, you know, Jonah riding off into the sunset, maybe reuniting with Tuck. I don't know if you remember Tuck, but he was the, the like mentally disabled guy who gave him firearms in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know where he went, but he's not there anymore. I think one of our Facebookers called, called that out. Um, but I, I, yeah, I see, I see Jason Bateman wanting to tell a story that if you choose to go into this life, you can't get out, number one, without penalty. And that penalty will be very severe. Um, and so I'm curious to see where they go. I do foresee Charlotte killing someone important, whether it's Ruth or Darlene or something like that in the next season. Um, but, I, but I also see one of them dying or going to jail or, going, or, or leaving the family and saying, I'm, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm escaping. And this is how I am. I could see this ending in, and they already have a therapist who's been involved, obviously not, not a very <laughs> legitimate one, but uh, I could see this ending with Charlotte, like talking to a therapist and explaining how all of this went down. Because, well, I like that. Because Wendy and Marty, one of them probably dies. The other one is not going to be like the kids can't, handle this long-term, which, whichever parent, if it's one or either or neither, they're not going to have a relationship when this is all over. I'm convinced of that. So whether Marty dies or Wendy dies, or they both die, whoever's left, if either, they're not, there's nothing there. They're going to be gone. You're going to have Charlotte and Jonah. And I think they're pumping Jonah up to be that loose cannon. Who's going to kill someone. John mentioned, um, that he thinks Jonah will eventually kill Omar, which is not a bad, not a bad theory. I don't know how it would work logistically, but they've got a lot of time to work that in. But you can see Jonah is headed down the path of he's going to do, like I've said, every season, I expect he's eventually going to do something that he can't have back. And it's going to be violent because that's what they've, they've formed him for. And he is a male. So it makes sense. Uh, I think Charlotte is probably the one beacon of hope in this to come out, but she's going to be very damaged when she does. That that would be, if I had to guess right now without knowing how the next season or two or three plays out, it's probably Charlotte is the last one who's a survivor and everyone else around her turns to shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually, I like the call of Jonah potentially being the one who kills Omar. I actually like John's whole theory. I'm just going to read it. Uh, Marty and... Wendy both die. Charlotte and Wyatt leave together. 
Ruth runs the business legitimately, maybe turns on, kills Marty and Wendy, and Jonah kills Omar. I actually like that theory a lot. I forgot um, why it got close, so that's a good call. Yeah, that's a really good call. Um, and I think, like, I, I do like your kind of uh, ending with, like, talking to the therapist, very catcher and Rye-ish. Um, I, I have a similar theory on, like, This Is Us, which now thinking about it, that could probably be our next show that we do. Uh, that's um, good. But this is us. I think actually, I, um, the kids are going to be telling their mother, who has now Alzheimer's, the story uh, that they know about their family, and that's why they're saying this is us. Like they're they're explaining that's that good, story. Yeah, to that's her. good. I like that too. Yeah. Right. So I, I think I like the storytelling. It's very like how I met your motherish. Um, but can we can we talk? I know we're running out of time, but I just I just want to mention one thing. I can't remember their names, but the other casino that they were trying to get throughout the season. The old that yeah. the old couple. The way the at at the end of that when the when the guy accidentally shoves his wife over the ledge and she just tumbles to her <laughs> death and walks away. <laughs> that guy drinks a lot of milk. I, that that was the one scene where I was like, this is so stupid. Because all he did was like it wasn't even a hard push, and he was sitting down. That's the part that really gets me. If you're standing and you shove as a grown man, you know, next to a woman, I could see. I once had a situation. I was working at ESPN Radio, and yeah. the star of that radio show, like, it was right before they were going on air. He had to run. Like, I was coming through. It just wrong place at the wrong time. He came through the door. He ran into me and, like, just about fell over. And I'm like a, you know, 19-year-old kid. I'm not a huge physical specimen either. But just, like, the force of, like, man-on-man, man, if you will, like <laughs> – that I can understand, but he, this guy's sitting down and, like, shoves his wife, who not only spins over the railing, but then falls all the way down and dies. And you're that telling me that you shoot a dick and you don't die. Like, that, <laughs> that just makes no sense. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and there you go. Like, that's also, I think, another homage to women, because she's the powerful one in that relationship, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's constantly throughout, throughout the season. She's definitely the one. It's yeah. an, it's an interesting, there's like a little bit of a toxic masculinity uh, subplot in this show too. You know, Wendy starts painting Jason Bateman into a corner and like there's bad repercussions of that. And then uh, you got this other couple, you had the wife, you had Darlene kill her husband. Like this is every time there's a power conflict, like it's, uh, the man always feels like very belittled and plagiarized, or not plagiarized, but patronized. And um, and then you see how the little how the outcomes play out. And uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting. There's a lot of power dynamic. There's a lot of gender dynamic. I think in the show it makes things very fascinating. And it's about equal. You know, you've got just as many intriguing male male characters as female characters. True. And they're, they're all great. It's a great cast. They did a great job casting this show. Yeah, Wendy, someone had mentioned, it might have been John earlier today, had mentioned how he thought Wendy also deserved an, an Emmy. Um, this is where, so Wendy's facial reactions are, are some of the best I've seen in a character. She can have a conversation without talking, which is amazing. Ben's acting was a different style where he was what I call spitting good. He acted so hard he was spitting. And <laughs> that that to me well like his was just like almost like visceral type acting. Like you're watching him and you're like feeling what he's going through. Whereas Wendy, you're watching her and her facial reactions, you're like understanding what she's trying to say. And she's not saying Oh anything. Laura Laura Lenny is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, she just she's incredible. Yeah, she she like every and she does she does this thing like where she does this face and, and every role she has where she kind of like goes, yeah, like she like tilts her head and like looks at at the character and you're just like, oh, like what is this psycho thinking? You know, you're just like she's she does yeah. that so well and she's she has a awesome. very um you're an idiot look, <laughs> like she's got yes. a really good look where she just makes you like that person's an idiot and now you know that. Uh, and she's got the whole dimple thing. So what she does really well throughout the show is she plays this, like, warm, you know, almost like housewife-type persona. 
but she's really intelligent. And, you know, they talked about that in the previous season. She, she knows her shit. Like she knows how to run a business. She knows all of that. She knows numbers, not as well as her husband, as far as the numbers are concerned, but yeah, she's got, she definitely plays off a lot and she does it mostly with her face and it's very fun to watch. They're very awesome. Um, so the last thing that I'll mention, I know we're, we're, we're running up against time here. The last thing I'll mention is that there is this trending approach with these drug cartel shows where you take an actor known for co- comedic roles for the span of their career and you <laughs> throw them into a central character where they're now the uh, dramatic in, you know, intense character and they're like their, their career shifts, you know, to this role. So Jason Bateman, um, Brian Cranston, they're both very well known for their comedic um, lives and they shift dramatically to this. Um, you know, I, I don't know who's, who's next to take on a similar role, but I thought this was very interesting. I think, you know, Jason Bateman's doing a hell of a job. I think he's doing great. He's playing the role perfectly. Yeah, he wrote he he put himself into a role that I think he can handle really well, and that he yeah. doesn't need to have a wide range as far as acting goes. He just needs to be that lovable dad figure, you know, innocent. He's got a really innocent the blue eyes. I'm convinced you have light eyes. People automatically trust you more. Um, it, he's just he plays that role. He's very you know you see Jason Bateman on the street. And you're like, that guy's probably smart. He's probably a good dad. And he probably, you know, uh, is like innocent in a way. And it's like he's the same character kind of on the show, except obviously we yeah. know it's not true. But that's how he comes off. Um, and it it serves an advantage when it comes to the FBI agent. I think he's currying a little bit of favor. Where like she's starting to trust him more, even though he's trying to basically manipulate her career. Um mm-hmm. And Wendy kind of is pulling the same thing on her side because she's got the dimples. So, yeah, it's uh, he's he's put himself in a nice spot with the show. It's it's like Dark Knight syndrome. Ever since the Dark Knight came out, we now need like an edgy version of everything. Now we're getting that with yeah. our big actors. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm car- It, it would have been Robin Williams. I could tell you that up front. If he was alive, he would be in one of these shows and he'd probably do a fantastic job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you, though. So anyway, well, this has been a good discussion. I I had to we had to get this out of our system after watching that season. So I'm glad the people who joined us. Um, I know it. uh, It's tough because not everyone finished the show. So now not everyone could probably join. But we'll continue trying to do stuff like this. Um, Won't won't guarantee any specific dates because it kind of depends on what we're handed as far as shows go and movies go eventually. But uh, yeah, this is fun. We'll do it, you know, hopefully monthly, something like that. We'll see how it goes. Hell yeah. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Thanks, guys, for watching. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your night.